Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Welcome to Season. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. It's officially summer beer season. Coming up this hour, we'll talk with Jamal Robinson, a co-founder of the Change in the Air Festival happening this weekend at Bear Smokehouse Barbecue in New Haven. It's a celebration of craft beer and black culture. It's also a fundraiser for the African American Brewers Scholarship. We'll hear from one of the recipients of the scholarship. And later in the hour, we'll listen back to my conversation with Elisa Bowens Mercado, AKA Lady Lager, about her experience in the craft brewing industry. But first, Chef Plum gets into some fun beer pairings with our first guest. John Hall is the editor of All About Beer magazine and a contributing editor at Wine Enthusiast. And he's the author of The Craft Brewery Cookbook, Recipes to Pair with Your Favorite Beers. John, welcome to Seasoned. Hey, thanks so much. It's delightful to be here. I always welcome every opportunity to talk to someone about beer because I am a giant beer fan. That's what I've heard. And I love segments like this because there's so much to be excited about when it comes to beer. And when people know a little bit about it, uh, it makes for a fun conversation. And when they're enthusiastic about learning more, I think it makes for an even better conversation. So really, thanks for having me. So the book starts off with some history, explaining why wine, not beer, gets all the glory. When we think about pairing food with drink, we think about wine, not beer. Can you share some of that history with us? And why does beer seem to get the short end of the stick? Before Prohibition, there's about 4,300 breweries operating in the United States, and beer was a locally made product. You know, if you lived in a city, if you lived in a town that had a brewery, and likely you, you did, or even more than one, you would drink that beer from your town. And, and there's local pride around it. Prohibition obviously decimated beer and cider production in the United States. And by the time we came out of Prohibition in the 1930s, the world had changed. Automation had really sort of taken over. And the beer that was left was sort of this one-size-fits-all category of the American lager, now the American light lager. And it, it's sort of like a Wonder Bread or craft cheese slice of beer. You know, it tastes like it's supposed to, but there's just not a lot of there there. Wine, on the other hand, was still very much an agricultural product and imports and Napa and you know the judgment of Paris and, and, and all these things helped bring wine to the forefront of American cuisine and really into the to the minds of diners and, and drinkers. It had this sort of class to it. And beer, which was again the sort of one size fits all factory made product, didn't have that same cachet. And, and fortunately, over the last 40 or so years, that's changed. And with the, the rise of you know, smaller breweries, independent breweries, craft breweries, whatever we're going to call them, uh, the chance to drink local has been great. Again, the, art, the artisans that have come into uh, uh, to the beer space ha- have really pushed the idea of what beer can be uh, in, in flavor and appearance-wise, and chefs have taken notice. And now you're seeing more and more beer on the menu. Um, but it just took a long time for that to happen. I think you get a better product, too. It's like... It's locally made, you know, you get local ingredients in it usually. I don't know. Sure. Still, a lot of the ingredients of beer are still, like hops still come from the Pacific Northwest, although there's hop production in most states these days. And, you know, malt is still coming from the breadbasket of America. You know, there are ingredients that do come from around the world, but there are folks who are making things locally. 
but it, it really is how you put it all together, regardless of where the ingredients are actually coming from and where they're, where they're harvested. They're being put together locally and with local thought, you know, local thrust behind them. And that, that to me is brewers are a lot like bakers. They're not like chefs because you have to follow a specific recipe. Chefs can get into a kitchen. You can give them anything as you well know, and you can just sort of riff. Right. Bakers, you need to measure things out. It's time, it's temperature, it's patience. Um, and it's really making sure that things work in harmony so that the end result is, is, is pretty good. So brewers are a lot like bakers in that result. So there is a lot of thought that goes into every recipe. And when a beer sings, it's phenomenal. And it shows the great skill and the great craft that brewers have put into it. Well, bringing some of that history into the present day, you say that the beer industry has made some extraordinary strides over the past five decades, and that small independent breweries are now kind of pushing the boundaries of what beer is and what beer can be. Yeah. How so? So, you know, we have 9,200 breweries operating in the country right now, and each of them are trying to put their own stamp on what they're making uh, with hopefully a little bit of nod to history. But in the past, beers were four main ingredients. It was water, it was, it was grain, it was hops and yeast. And those beers still exist. And you can do a lot with those four ingredients. And, and a lot of them have these really wonderful food components to them and how they show up in taste and aroma. But now brewers are trying to borrow from the culinary world or be inspired by the culinary world. And they're adding food ingredients to their beers. You know, we, we were talking uh, before about Guinness. And Guinness is one of those beers where people say, oh, you know, there's there's chocolate and there's coffee in this. Nope, that's all derived from malt. Yeah. But now brewers are putting coffee and chocolate, actual coffee and chocolate into their beers. Uh, same thing with tea, same thing with you know, all kinds of candies and herbs and spices and proteins and vegetables and fruits and everything else as well. And you can get these really wonderful flavors of those food ingredients that work alongside the traditional beer ingredients. Well, let's talk about some pairings because... I think lagers and pilsners are the most popular beer styles in the world. I think it's kind of a known thing. Yes. So what should our listeners be pairing them with? It goes back to the really basic burger and a beer. I still think that, you know, lagers are the utility players and you can put them up in front of anything. In the Craft Brewery Cookbook, you know, we talk about everything from uh, you know, breakfast burritos to uh, whipped ricotta. You know, there's uh, there's shrimp tacos. There, there's, there's all sorts of fun things that you can do with lagers because they are so basic. And so if you have basic in, in flavor, you know, they're hard to make and it's a very skillful beer, but the hops should be a little bit spicy, a little bit floral, a little bit herbal. The, the malt should be a little bit crisp, a little bit bready. You know, almost crackery at times as well. So if you think about what those flavors are and what they could go well with, you know, salty dishes or sweet dishes, um, you're going to find a pretty, pretty great compliment. Those are those great crisp beers we all love, like to have yeah. on a hot day. You know, those hundred percent. The... Yeah, they're they're called lawnmower beers for a yeah, reason. That's right. Or fishing beers, I used to call them. How many can you drink while you're fishing? Sure. So there's plenty of traditional pairings in the book, you know, like an IPA with a lamb burger, for example. Yeah. But in your Hoppy Ales chapter, you're also pairing beer with a PB&J. And I kind of get that, but love to hear your take on it. It comes down to building out flavor bridges and what what you might associate with the dish and what's in the glass. So for example, like a PB&J, it's sort of a lunchtime thing. Uh, you go back to, to, to your childhood and what are you going to pair with that? And maybe you're going to have 
uh, a Hawaiian punch. Uh, maybe you're going to have uh, some sort of fruit juice alongside of that. And a lot of the, the modern IPAs that are out there have these undertones of pineapple and guava and mango and the, these modern fruit or these you know tropical fruit flavors um, that we know so well, but actually kind of pair in a fun way um, with our inner child. I get it. The, the hoppy ale kind of with the sweet jelly and that little fat from the peanut butter almost in the background to kind of fill in. I, I, it makes sense to me. I don't know. Okay. I think it makes sense. Yeah. It, it's unexpected, uh, I think, but it, it it works and it's not going to be, you know, the, the, the old school piney, uh, the old school grapefruit pith uh, IPAs of, of, of the past. If you think about some of the more modern ones, uh, it, it, it's a fun pairing. And again, here's the thing with cookbooks or with pairing beer, there's always going to be room for a conversation and everybody's palate is different and everybody responds to things in different ways. You know, if you talk about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, there's going to be the people who swear by grape, uh, grape Concord jelly, right. Or the people who swear by the raspberry or the cherry, or the strawberry, or whatever, or is it Smuckers or is it, you know, Welsh's or is it whatever, all of that's okay. Right. Right. It, it's all about experimentation and finding things that speak to your specific palate. So this book is, um, as, as much as I stand by the pairings, and I certainly do, um, I want people to experiment, you know, make the peanut butter and jelly sandwich and try it with a goza, you know, try it with a, a hefeweizen or you know, a barley wine or whatever. There, there are no real rules. Yeah. You know, it, it, beer doesn't have to be precious in the same way that maybe some of the other service uh, with adult beverages might be where there's hard and fast uh, rules and, and people are a little bit stuffy about it. Beer doesn't have those pretensions. You can break the rules, drink whatever you like, right? Yeah, I think so. I, but try to find something that's going to complement or contrast. So think about what, you, you know, and it doesn't have to be a perfect pairing. It doesn't have to be a um, a, a, a magical pairing, although if, if, it, if it works out, that that's really great. But if you find one or two things in the dish and find one or two things in, in the glass, you're going to have this really fun experience. And so if you'll permit me, right? People will say all the time, um, you know, red meat pairs with red wine and white wine pairs with chicken and fish. And that's such nonsense because it doesn't tell you anything about either thing that you're having, right? So red meat, cool. All right, so you have a steak. Is it tartare? Is it just sitting on your plate? No, probably not. You're going to cook it. And now all of a sudden, it's going to start to change. It's going to have this nice char on the outside of it. Some of those fats are going to start to caramelize and the juices are kind of sweet and a little bit savory on the inside. And, and if you just have that on your plate, a brown ale or a porter that has some coffee notes, some chocolate notes to it, a little bit of nuttiness is going to pair with that grilled steak really well. But now if you take a gorgonzola sauce, right, and you put it on top of the steak, that is now going to be the dominant flavor. And a brown ale or a porter is not going to be able to stand up to that. But a West Coast IPA will. A West Coast IPA will really address that blue cheese in a wonderful way, um, stand up to the fattiness a little bit, that bitterness of the hops is going to come out uh, and help with some of the, that funkiness of the cheese. And now you have this whole new pairing uh, based on red meat, you know, and IPA, and I focus on this in the book a little bit, is such a cool beer. It's not only the best-selling category of craft beer these days, um, but I think it is one of the most versatile when it comes to food, mm. because not only does IPA go really well with blue cheese, 
but it's going to go really well with spicy food like spicy Sichuan or Mexican uh, or Thai. It stands up to the capsaicin heat uh, of those peppers really, really well. And IPA is a beautiful pairing alongside carrot cake. You know, I was just about to ask about desserts, but an IPA with carrot cake? Yeah. You got to dive deep for me. It just works. It's the nuttiness. It's the earthiness. It's that it's that little bit of vegetal um, that comes through that sweetness of the carrots that that come through. If you get a little bit of that vanilla, uh, you know, mascarpone frosting on top, like it's really kind of nice. But that's one style of beer that is now pairing with three wildly different flavors. Wow. You know, and it's such a far cry from you know, red meat, red wine. So there's no hard and fast rules is is the heart of it. But you can find things that complement and contrast. And it doesn't always have to be the main thing. It doesn't always have to be the protein. It doesn't have to be the main event of the dish. It can be something on the side. It can be something on top. It can be a sauce. So I always say when drinking wine, a Pinot Noir is a great middle of the road. It kind of fits everything most of the time. You're good with a piece of fish. You're good with chicken. You're good with steak. Sure. Is there a beer that you find kind of, hey, if you don't really know, but this is a great beer to have, it'll work with almost anything? Kolsch. Yeah, great beer. Yeah, German Kolsch. You know, again, it's it's got a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of crispness. Um, they're relatively easy to find. It's gentle hopping, but it's noticeable. Um, I think a Kolsch or even an ESB, uh, an extra special bitter um, on the darker spectrum uh, that has a little bit of nuttiness to it, a little bit of earthiness to it, um, a little bit of uh, uh, citrus tinged hops to it. Yeah, the, the, those two styles are hopefully fairly easy to find these days and I think bring a lot to the... Um, to the dinner table. All right. So obviously we're a little bit biased here in Connecticut, but you do feature two Connecticut breweries in your cookbook. I do. Two Roads, which is, I mean, they've become legendary. They're all down the East Coast. I can't, I don't even know if we can call them a Connecticut brewery anymore. They're so big. Well, if they're based in Connecticut, I think it's still safe to call them a Connecticut brewery. Fair enough. But another brewery we've actually had on the show is Athletic Brewing Company. Yeah. So what do you think of the beer game here in Connecticut? Because I feel like we have, I feel like we have a brewery on every corner these days. We have over 120 now. Which is great. You know, the Nutmeg State has come a long way in a, in a short period of time, which is, which is great. And it speaks to, I think, the sense of local community. People do care about where things are made and who's making it and how they can support businesses down the street. You know, even if you're thinking about two roads, right? If you're driving through, one of the things that I love about it, if you're driving from New York to Boston or vice versa, two roads has the billboard on 95 saying exit here and come taste some beer. Yeah. That's a cool thing because right. in the past, and I'm from Jersey, so I'm, I'm a little bit biased. Connecticut was just the state that you drove through to get to someplace else. But when I first started seeing those billboards, I was like, yeah, I'm going to stop at two roads for a little bit. And I spent some money in Connecticut, you know, which I didn't do before. So I think that there's a good opportunity for any brewery in any state to try to capture uh, local hearts and minds, but then try to bring people in from the outside. And, you know, certainly New England has a strong brewing history. You know, I mean, this is this is where brewing started in the U.S. And so because it died during prohibition and then in the 40 or so years afterwards, it's been hard for a lot of states to get back up and going again. But local governments and state governments are seeing the benefit now of supporting these local breweries. Um, you know, here in Jersey during the pandemic, uh, and I think in Connecticut as well, breweries were deemed essential businesses, which was awesome yeah. uh, to, to <laughs> help, help keep us all uh, feeling a little bit better as the plague was swirling around us in those early days. So, yeah, it just it, it's a really cool thing to have local breweries these days. And it's neat to be able to walk into a place no matter where you live and see the equipment and meet the people who make the beer that's now sitting in front of you. I think it just forges a deeper connection 
with consumers and drinkers. It's like having an open kitchen concept, right? Where you can see your food being cooked. Yeah. It makes you feel a little bit more involved in the action. So you just mentioned community and yeah, I know the community here in Connecticut, we have totally embraced our local brewers. We love it. And everybody always talks about going to a brewery on the weekends. Uh, you wrote your first craft beer cookbook in 2013. Yeah. And we know the beers have become more nuanced and more expressive, but in your research and travels, have you found the craft brewery community vastly different now than it was then? I think the community overall is more engaged, more educated, and more excited about beer in general. But what I've seen in the last decade since the American Craft Beer Cookbook, which uh, that was the first book that came out, versus now the Craft Brewery Cookbook 10 years later, is how the attitude towards beer has changed. So when I look at the American Craft Beer Cookbook, which I still love, is high caloric recipes, uh, big boozy beers. There's a little bit of excess in there. You know, there's beer cheese soup and there's deep fried sausage sandwiches and deep fried corn dogs. And there's, you know, like triple layer chocolate cupcakes. Like there's all sorts of like things that are really good in, in the very basic moderation. Now what we're seeing in beer and, and the craft brewery cookbook reflects this is, you know, athletic brewing is out and it's non-alcoholic and people are embracing that. Right. And a lot of these tart ales, sour ales um, are three, 4% alcohol and they're, they're light in body. Um, they're a little bit more refreshing. You know, we've seen session IPAs come up that are again in the 4% range as opposed to the seven, eight, 9% range of, of alcohol by volume. Barley wines are still around. Imperial stouts are still around. Um, but people are also just drinking you know, traditional Irish stouts, traditional oatmeal stouts. Moderation has entered into the beer game and the recipes reflect that as well, you know, where you can go out and have a couple of beers and have a nice meal and not feel regretful the next morning or have to spend, you know, an extra 20 minutes at the gym or whatever, because the calories are a little bit less and the flavors are a little bit more bright and vibrant. So um, I think that's how the community has evolved as well as beer drinkers have matured. Certainly I'm in my early forties now and I can't drink and eat the way that I could when I first started writing about beer 20 (laughs) years ago. Um, And I also don't want to. So I, I think that the beer industry is keeping up with my desires, which are the desires of a lot of other folks my age and and certainly younger generations as well that are just coming into beer that are much more healthy than certainly I was and a lot of us were in the early 2000s. Hey, if you could have any craft beer from your travels from across America, what would it be? And then to tap that, what will be the ultimate pairing with it? Like, what do you want to have with it to eat? You know, I, I get this question all the time and I, I never have a good answer. You'd feel like 20 years into this that I would have a better answer. I change constantly. I get it. Yeah. And here's the thing, right? If people are thinking about, you know, the next beer that they want to have, think about your mood, think about your situation, think about the weather outside, you know, think about what kind of day it's been, what kind of night you want it to be. Sometimes you want something that's light and refreshing, that's bubbly, uh, that sort of feels like sunset on a beautiful summer afternoon. Sometimes it's cold and rainy and dark and you want a beer that matches the mood or that counters that mood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for me, I never really know what I'm in the mood for until I actually stop to think about it. If I was on a desert island, if I had an unlimited cooler of one style of beer, I'd want it to be a really well-made lager that I could just have a couple of and uh, wait for the ships to come by. And I think a a really nice charcuterie plate to go along with it, because that's not just one thing, it's many things. And I like to graze. 
And as long as there's not too much sand in it, I'd be happy on that desert island with uh, with my lager and charcuterie. Sounds like a great plan to me. I I think for, I, dude, I have to have the Killian's Irish Red and this industrial sub from Coppola's Deli in Richmond, Virginia. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened on the planet. Wow, going old school with Killian's. Oh yeah, I don't even know if they still make it. Do they still make that? I haven't seen it in forever. But what a great beer with a sandwich. It's a great sandwich beer. Yeah, oh, I love that one. I like that answer. I like a good sandwich. You got to come to Jersey. We got we got good delis here in Jersey. I love that. Hey, also, Montauk Brewing Company makes a watermelon session ale, one of my favorite beers on the planet with tacos. It's unbelievable. I could keep doing that. We could just make this whole show about me telling you food I like with beer, but I won't do that. Absolutely. No, and that's, and that's sort of the cool thing, right, is it's that sweet that can go along with some of the savory or, you know, some of that those sweet you know, juices, if you're having something with um, like shrimp as well, you know, if you think about it, like a ceviche, like a, like a fruit ceviche, like it, it works. And yeah. it's one of those things where right off the bat, people are going to be like, that's kind of weird watermelon and tacos. But it's like, no, you, a lot of people put grilled pineapple on there. It's not really that much further a stretch. So no, it's great. Hey, as a beer writer and as someone who loves and appreciates beer culture, what's the thing that you're most excited about now when you think about where the industry has come from and where it's going? I think there's a lot of promise in beer right now. And I think that there's a lot of interest and there's a lot of, there's a lot of really fun creativity that's out there. And the brewers are embracing that the brewers are finding new ways to bring cool flavors to the glass. And if they can do it in a way that is not just speaking to the beer nerds, not just speaking to the already converted, there's a stat out there that something like, you know, craft beer in America. So the 9,200 breweries that are craft breweries uh, make up about 13% of the overall marketplace. The other 87% are still drinking Budweiser, Miller, Coors, which is totally fine. I'm not going to yuck somebody else's yum, but brewers are increasingly looking to find ways to speak to that 87%, mm. to bring those bud drinkers into the fold. And you can do it by making a Bondale or a Kolsch or an unadorned lager that tastes really good uh, and then push that local angle. So that's where I think that the future needs to be of, of growing the pie, uh, not just cutting thinner slices of, of what's already established. John, thanks for joining us here on Season. We appreciate it. Chef, thanks. This was a real pleasure. Cheers. That was John Hall, author of the Craft Brewery Cookbook. You'll find free recipes from the book on our site. There are chicken wings, of course, because what goes better with beer? Plus a pumpkin flatbread from Two Roads Brewing Company. And a simple mango and beet salad from Athletic Brewing Company, the makers of non-alcoholic beer. Both of these breweries are in Stratford. Later in the hour, Lady Lager, Elisa Bowens Mercado. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Coming up after the break, there's a local beer fest we want you to know about. Plus, a recipient of the Connecticut Brewers Guild African American Brewer Scholarship describes what it means to her to be a part of the craft beer community. I've been just overwhelmed by the amount of people who have just opened up their brew houses to me and said, come in and learn and get dirty. This is Seasoned. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. 
Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Change is in the air, particularly in the brewing industry. There are more than 9,000 breweries in America, but only 1% are Black-owned, according to a survey by the Brewers Association. Our next guests are working to move the needle on diversifying the craft beer industry and its community right here in Connecticut. The Change in the Air Festival happening at Bear Smokehouse Barbecue in New Haven this Saturday is a celebration of craft beer and Black culture. We'll learn about the fest and its mission from our next guests. Jamal Robinson is the Director of Sales and Marketing at New England Brewing Company in Woodbridge, and he's a co-founder of the Change in the Air Festival. You'll also hear from Judy Young. She's a recipient of the Connecticut Brewers Guild African American Brewers Scholarship. She's a graduate of Sacred Heart University's Brewing Science Program. We asked our producer, Catrice Claudio, to join Chef Plum for this conversation. She's on the Fest's board and planning committee. Jamal, Judy, welcome to Season. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having us, man. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Jamal, we'll start with you. So you work in sales and marketing at the New England Brewing Company, and you're also the founder of the Change in the Air Festival, now in its second year. Can you describe for our listeners what this festival is all about and what the mission behind this part of your work is? Yeah, I like to say co-founder. We've got a team of people on our committee that's fundraising for the scholarship, and and us as a unit came up with the idea and, and helping to plan this. So I don't like to, to take all the credit um, as, the, as the sole founder. So co-founder, but the, the mission of the festival itself is diversity. It's about diversifying the craft beer space from the ground up, from both who's working in the industry, but also who's drinking craft beer and and a part of the culture. Craft beer itself represents $83 billion in America right now uh, in terms of the economic impact, and people of color are less than 1% of that. So the festival is a fundraiser for the Connecticut Brewers Guild African American Brewers Scholarship. We've started an annual scholarship, but this is an endowed scholarship that'll live in, in perpetuity. And the festival plays as both a fundraiser for the scholarship, but also a space to diversify who's drinking beer and and who's participating in the culture of craft beer. So can you elaborate on what makes Changing the Air Festival different from other beer festivals, aside from the fact that it supports a person in their studies at the Sacred Heart Brewing Science Program? What can people expect to experience at the fest? Who are some of the local brewers and what will they get to sample beers from? So if you've ever been to a beer festival, it is a pretty predominantly white male space. This festival is trying to be essentially the opposite of that. It's important to us if we're diversifying who's brewing and working in the industry that we're also diversifying who's in the industry itself. So we geared this festival specifically towards people of color. We've got black and brown musicians and DJs that are playing all day, local musicians, 27 breweries from Connecticut and the run, but also Hog River, 
five churches, Allagash, some like outer regional breweries. We've got some really cool collaborations that some breweries got together. So New England Brewing got together with Lawson's Finest Liquids and Bissell Brothers up in Maine and did a couple of collaboration beers to be released at the festival. Rhythm did a collaboration with Sam Adams, who will also be at the festival. So we'll have that beer as well. As a patron, you'll be able to try all these breweries. Each brewery is going to bring three, four different beers. So you'll get to try samples from each brewery. But then you'll also experience a, a very different festival in the terms of what it looks like. Most beer festivals, like I said, are predominantly white space, catered to a white clientele. And they're usually just beer. It's usually you walk around and you try different beers. This is a beer festival in the roots of it, but it's a, a cultural festival in the soul. We've got everything from black musicians, black and brown artists, pop-up vendors, local artists that will be displaying their art uh, at the fest and having that to, for sale. But we'll also have a live mural going on at the fest. We have a black-owned cigar pop-up vendor there, 40 vendors outside of beer involved in the festival as well. So That's awesome. There'll be a lot to do in between trying beers and looking at art and checking out different vendors and trying some food. We've got a variety of black and brown owned food vendors from Latino to Caribbean to soul food and barbecue. That sounds like super immersive and super high sensory beyond the beer. That sounds super exciting. Man, delicious. It just sounds delicious. Right? I want all those foods right now. And beer. You missed it last year, Plum. They had these empanadas that were to die for. They were so good. Oh, Yes. <laughs> so we talked about the what behind the festival and as a co-founder i wonder if you could talk more about the why why did you decide last year to take this on why changing the air fest the festival is important and the scholarships are important because you know craft beer like i said represents 83 billion dollars in america and people of color represent less than one percent of that a couple of years ago during the height of the covid uh, protests and shootings and everything going on, people having a lot of time to think. I found myself with a lot of time to think as uh, as being in this industry for 18 years now. Um, had time to reflect on what my role is as a black man in my community and in America, but also in this industry that I love so much and have been a part of and have been pretty much the only one I know in it for, the, for most of my career. So I, I've never been a huge activist, but it felt like I was in a position both in my career and in my reputation in this industry to do something and do something impactful. And it, and it felt necessary. It was this personal call to action. And probably because uh, a big part of that being my own entry into craft beer was because I was in a white space. And, and that seems to be the, the pretty organic and natural way to get in the craft beer industry is to be working at a restaurant or a liquor store and to be in that space. It's important to not only diversify what it looks like, but to change what those spaces look like. And to be able to provide access into this industry in different ways, but then also change what it looks like because it's a dope industry and people need to be a part of it that are not just white. <laughs> the time is, is now and feels right. And we've got a lot of good people that care about this initiative as well. So we looked at ourselves as a company. We had some really honest and real conversations about us being leaders in this industry and thought leaders in general. And then what does that mean if we're going to we wanted to create a scholarship and we wanted to do something impactful. We created a, a diversity inclusion committee, what we call our equality committee here at NEMCO. And then it was like, how do we take it outside of the building? And then how do we actually do things and create the change uh, that needs to happen? That's great, man. I think that's really cool to hear. Yeah, thanks, man. We've got a good team here of, of people that care. I mean, we've got half of our employees on our equality committee. And the scholarship was kind of the first brainchild of that equality committee. Well, this is a great time to bring Judy into the conversation because I found out recently just how many female brewers are really kind of taking off in this industry. Some of the biggest breweries in our country are head brewers female. I think it's great. 
And the fest itself is a fundraiser for scholarship to train future brewers and the brewing professionals. Judy, what made you apply for the scholarship and what interests you most about craft beer? Talk about your experience a little bit. Uh, I've got curious person syndrome. And so I wonder how things work and then I end up throwing myself in them. So I know the feeling. (laughs) uh, (laughs) So in like 2013, I was like, how does the justice system work? And applied and went to law school. And then, you know, I started craft brewing with my next door neighbor in his garage and really just wanted to learn more about it. You know, was doom scrolling during the pandemic as one does. And saw, you know, a whole bunch of brewing Instagram and and beer pages and really just wanted to know more and how to enter this industry. And thankfully just happened to see of all things, New England Brewing Company's scholarship with SHU and thought, why not? Like, why not me? Why not apply? Why not try? And it's been, you know, such a treat. You go every single week and you are learning hands-on from some of the best brewers in the game. And, you know, it's about 20 of us in a cohort. I was grateful and thankful enough to be admitted. And there are now four, I think four people of color in our graduating class. So it's myself, uh, Oren, Kareem, and, and Rochelle. Everyone has a background and an interest in beer more interesting than the last person. And it's just been incredible. I think my why is a bit deeper. I think everyone's why they do anything is. But for me, I feel like like anything, beer tells a story. And I just really wanted to be able to tell mine, even if it was for a year and brewing, going down to that brewery because we brew inside of uh, area two every week, sometimes twice a week. I just wanted to be able to really just pour myself, no pun intended, into something You know, I've got three kids at home. One of them will undoubtedly walk by while we're doing this. You know, I work full time uh, for the state of Massachusetts. There's something unlike anything I'd ever, ever had before, tried before, where you really just have to pay full attention to what you're doing in front of you when you brew for like five to six hours. So I had to basically put everything down, put everything aside and really just be present in the moment and make something incredible. And you learn this bigger respect for your colleagues, your brewmates when you're doing it for the industry. And all the while you're surrounded by people who just want to get good too and, and find a place to land. So it's, it's an incredible thing. I can't speak highly enough about it. It's almost like a meditation, especially being like (laughs) having three kids, you know? Right. I guess I am the go in the brewery and like really give your all to, to a brew for five hours type person. It's amazing. Judy, I got to tell you, I suffer from curiosity syndrome too. And Catrice, I wish you introduced me to these way smarter people than me earlier. My curiosity syndrome made me go to pro wrestling school and turn me into a pro wrestler. I'm not making that up. That's a true story. Yeah, I'm not. I could have definitely been brewing. That'd been so much cooler, but true story. I love that. And I too, as a creative, am insatiably curious, which is why I try not to explore too many things or I'll juggle a thousand balls. Um, so Judy, you're working in law, so you have this very strategic and systemic like method of dealing with work there. And it seems like beer is more of your creative outlet. So with you having the entire local craft beer community essentially saying they believe in you, how has that fueled your ambition as a brewer? It feels incredible. And I'm, I'm honored, right? Like I think that like in law, that's just like brewing law so white. And so I felt like for a, a good existence part of my career that I just kind of had to suck it up and you, you know, be the change that you want to see and representation matters. And so when you come across a young law student or a young attorney, you're just like, go, go, like 
take them out to lunch and, and breathe into them if they can. And I found the exact same thing in brewing, starting from the very bottom. I would meet people in the industry, Jamal, his incredible partner, Jess, an entire industry of people being thirsty for change, if you'll allow me to make the pun, and also just being so excited that I was interested and ready to learn as well. I think I think being interested in something is contagious. I think curiosity is contagious. And kindness is contagious. And so when you mix all that stuff together, you get to be among this incredible group of people who want to show off their skills and want to collaborate. I've been just overwhelmed by the amount of people who've just opened up their, their brew houses to me and said, come in and learn and get dirty. It's been the opposite of what I thought it was, which a bunch of bros kind of like secretly guarding <laughs> the industry and not wanting to let people in. And now I'm like, dang, like law, can we catch up? Because like brewing is beating us like they're much more open to change. So what ultimately is the plan? I get asked that question a lot. And I think I think the goal is always I would love, right? If I didn't have so much loan debt, Biden cancel it. Um, <laughs> to, to be able to open my own space and 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 recognizing that I'm standing on shoulders to be able to open up my own brew house and let people come in and learn the same way that I was able to. I'm a hands-on learner. I always have been, and I always will be. And so I think kind of learning in the apprenticeship style is going to suit me for a while, you know, giving out my time as much as I can when I'm not chasing around little ends to, to learn. And then I've also thought like about maybe sidestepping into brewery and helping folks set up their small businesses and their industries. So I'm open. That's perfect, actually. Jamal, and you might agree with me here, um, we need a little less beards in the brewing industry, don't we? I feel like everybody has a beard. (laughs) (laughs) They all do. You're listening to our conversation with Jamal Robinson of New England Brewing Company, also known as Nebco. He's a co-founder of the Change in the Air Festival, Judy Young is a mom, a lawyer, and a recipient of the African-American Brewer Scholarship. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more of our conversation with Jamal and Judy. And we'll listen back to my chat with Elisa Bowens Mercado of Rhythm Brewing. We just wanted to change up the industry. We wanted to, you know, diversify it. We want more women brewing. We want more people of color brewing. You're listening to Seasons on Connecticut Public Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Chef Plum and our producer, Patrice Claudio, are talking about the Change in the Air Festival with co-founder Jamal Robinson and a recipient of the African-American Brewer Scholarship, Judy Young. The festival is this Saturday at noon at Bear Smokehouse Barbecue in New Haven. Earlier, Judy described what it felt like to earn the scholarship and to be embraced by the craft beer community. We'll pick up the conversation with Jamal, describing how the fest's mission will evolve to include opportunities for people interested in other elements of the industry, aside from brewing. That is very important. Most of us that are in the industry are not brewers. It's a, it's a huge industry, and a brewery takes a lot of people to make that functional, from packaging to marketing to sales to taproom. The, the goal is for long-term that we do provide those opportunities. The team that has come together to be 
what started as our scholarship committee focusing on the fundraising for the endowed scholarship has turned into the Change in the Air Fest committee. And what the goals is to keep the, the festival going, but also creating new opportunities, talking about creating internships, partnering up with breweries and creating internships and marketing and packaging so that there are more accessible ways. The Brewing Science Program is a, it's a no joke thing. It's, it's an 11 month program and it's intense and not everybody's role in this industry is in brewing. I know I tried home brewing uh, when I got in early and <laughs> I'm a sales guy. <laughs> brewing was, was not uh, something I was... Yeah, wait, we got to stop there because I, I need to hear more about that. So the first batch of beer that I ever brewed tastes like kitty litter and orange peel. It was the worst thing that's ever happened. That's pretty standard. It was awful. How was yours? Was it terrible? Similar. <laughs> you know, brewing beer is easy. Brewing good beer is very hard to do, you know? Yeah. So that's one of the things where you find your lane. And there's a lot of lanes here in, the, in this industry and a lot of things, especially as the industry evolves from social media marketing and that being a huge part of it now and external marketing and events and tap room. So the brewing science program is, is the first avenue for us. Uh, but the, the goal is to truly expand and, and be more than that and providing more accessible opportunities that are a bit more short term, like six month internships with some really good breweries. So that if somebody, especially when we talk about sales, the main avenue to get into sales now on the brewing side is usually through a wholesaler if you're friends with a brewery or maybe you've worked at a package store, front of house, a restaurant or a package store. So providing some other opportunities to get an internship because a lot of breweries are looking for when you're coming over into sales, they're looking for three to five years experience. They want to put somebody on the road that, that knows how to do it. And if we're diversifying the industry, it's, it's pretty clear that you're not going to get people of color with that experience if that experience has never been available before. So it's about creating those opportunities to give that experience and give education so that people can leave. If they leave a brewery after six months, they've got this this foundation that they can get hired somewhere and they have credentials and the credentials come from a well-known good partnership brewery. That's why, you know, the festival and the foundation is so important that we're, we're partnering with great brands that want to be a part of this long-term. It's a great time for it too. There's so many craft breweries now that are just making such great product. It's like blown up in the past 10 years. Yeah. It's a probably the best time ever to be a craft beer drinker or to be interested in craft beer. So I was first introduced to craft beer through the festival itself as well. And it's only in the second year this year. And it's taught me how to expand my palate tremendously. Um, I know how changing the air festival personally as an attendee affected me and changed me. How do you believe um, that the festival changed the brewing scene? What have you noticed that feels different even this early in its existence? For one, what some of the other festivals already look like. That's huge. And we talked, we've always talked about the changing the air festival needs to not just be a once in a year thing. If we're trying to provide real change, then we have to be the anchor that also is the catalyst for other festivals to change and, and what they look like. So Phil, who's our uh, the executive director for the Brewers Guild, also plans the Connecticut Brewers Guild Festival, which is a much bigger festival, 2,000 plus people. And I have to give him props, but he called me and was like, hey, do you mind if we use some of the vendors from the Change the Air Fest? I don't want to you know, copy the festival. And the response had to be absolutely because again, if we're if we're giving those opportunities, then we have to provide and give those opportunities elsewhere and change what other festivals look like. So it's not just this one thing. We got to change the whole space. That festival this year, it was really dope to be at to not just see the variety of vendors that were there, but also to see the customers. Like I've never seen that festival with such a diverse group of people actually attending and, and buying tickets, and and that was dope. And that being one of the biggest festivals in the state. That's awesome. Hey, last one for me, you guys. Jamal with New England Brewing Company this summer. What's coming out soon that you're liking? What should we get from New England Brewing Company this summer? What are we drinking? Uh, for beers, you mean? Yes, sir. Oh, plug, plug, plug. <laughs> the, uh, we just actually launched a new beer called Nebco Lager. 
Um, and it's an American uh, American lager, light, crisp, easy drinking, four and a half percent. It's brewed with uh, with corn and rice, giving like some crisp flavors and also like a very subtle sweetness, um, low hot bitterness, just something really palatable, really drinkable. And in the summertime, I think a lot of us in the industry have we're IPA heads as a whole. I think most of us in this industry are drinking IPAs more than anything. But if you talk to most brewers, they're drinking lagers these days. And I fall into that realm just being like getting a little bit of palate fatigue. Uh, New England IPAs have gotten really popular. And some of those are like, although they're big and flavorful and, and great to drink, they're like heavy. Yeah. They're almost like knife and fork beers. It takes a lot to get through them and they take over your palate. So it's nice to have just a change up of something easy to drink and crushable, but still refreshing and, and really well made. You're singing my song, man. Those IPAs. Listen, if I have an IPA, they have to drink a glass of water because I'm still thirsty afterwards. You know, I love a nice crisp. As I call it, a great fishing beer. That's what I call them. Judy, what about you? Are you an IPA girl? What is it? So I love dark beer. Yeah. The maltier, the better. Stouts, porters, a nice doppelbach. And they pair so well with food. That's my jam. That's kind of how I, I came to love beer so much is just playing what would this taste great with. So I, I love dark beers, but the summertime I come through, I really do like a lot of lagers as well. Um, but I'm drinking right now. I can't get enough of uh, a beer from Black Prom Brews called Machu Picchu. It's got this nice, like, fiery kick on the back end. I can't. Oh, let's it go. It just goes really, really well with barbecue and, like, cheesy, salty foods, like a pizza. All beer is wonderful. But uh, in the summertime, I'd also recommend just a nice, crispy boy. I'm looking forward to what you got over there, Jamal. I'll try it. So before we go, can we talk about Judy's pun game? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I mean, it's it's crazy, right? I mean, the pouring it. What else? I mean, you said so many. I mean, I don't even know. I don't know. Listeners can find details about the change in the air festival happening at Bear Smokehouse Barbecue in New Haven Saturday, June 18th on our website, ctpublic.org slash seasoned. Jamal, Judy, thank you so much for joining us today. And Judy, congratulations on graduating from the Brewing Science Program. Thank you. Thank you so much. Best luck in your career. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate you. Cheers. Before we go, we wanted to listen back to part of Chef Plum's 2021 conversation with Elisa Bowens Mercado. She's the founder of Rhythm Brewing Company based in New Haven. You'll find Elisa and her lager at the Change in the Air Festival this Saturday. I want to spend a few minutes celebrating a pioneer in the Connecticut brewing world. Elisa Bowens Mercado is the state's first black female craft brewer. She's the owner of Rhythm Brewing in New Haven. Elisa, welcome to season. How are you? I'm excited to be joining you here today. So thank you for the invitation. 100%. I'm excited to meet you and talk about your story a little bit. Uh, you started Rhythm Brewing back in 2018, and you guys are you're, you're crazy busy. Your phone hasn't stopped, right? You know what? We, we've had such success uh, with the brand and the beards. You know, people have really rallied behind us because we did a couple of things different coming into the beer space. We started making lagers. No one was making really like, you know, talking or making craft lagers. We were very adamant about that because um, I personally, I'm Lady Lager because I love lagers. But Lady Lager is your nickname, you, by the way. We're going to talk about that as well. But that's that's kind of your, <laughs> your, your affectionately known as Lady Lager, which, by the way, is a fantastic nickname. My nickname is Plum. It's a fruit. If I could have picked my own, it wouldn't have been, it'd have been something cooler. <laughs> but you got Lady Lager. Thank you. Yeah, I did get late. And I don't complain about that. I love that. I go to beer festivals and I'll hear Lady Lager being screamed from like across the, the way. And so it's I, awesome. I, I, I so appreciate it. Um, but, you know, this it's been a, 
an amazing journey. We've been doing this for about two and a half years and we just wanted to change up the industry, we wanted to, you know, diversify it, you know, inclusion. We want more uh, women brewing. We want more people of color uh, brewing. And my whole thing was, I'll be very honest with you, if I was going to consume something, I want to own it. So I just said, let me, you know, just get throwing my hat in the ring to for this. And let's just start cranking out some, you know, lagers in the midst of all of these IPAs that are out here. Well, I want to tell you, because I just tasted this delicious rhythm brewing unfiltered lager. Uh, it's a delicious beer. It, it's Thank amazing. You. What made you start with doing a lager? My grandmothers were both beer drinkers, God rest their souls. And they, um, they used to drink the little ponies of uh, Miller High Life. I don't know if you remember those little bo- bottles. Of glass course bottles. I remember that. Listen, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> I'm so glad. Listen, I'm a chef. I remember all of those. Trust me. Th- those were, uh, yeah. are you kidding me? The champagne of beers. The champagne of beers. And so I was like, my grandmothers are like rock stars. I'm like, you know, they're they're beer drinkers. And so f- I'm paying homage to them because it was like fast forward. I would go to all of these beer festivals, like on my da- downtime uh, from my salsa dancing. And I'd be like at these beer festivals and no one really had a lager. I will be very honest with you. And this is a funny story. One day I'm uh, we're at Cape Cod at a beer fest and I looked over at my husband and I go, do you think they have like a Bud Light here? And he goes, you can't say that here. (laughs) And (laughs) and so on the ride home, he said I was very quiet, which you could probably tell I'm never quiet. And he goes, what is the matter? And I go, I'm gonna make my own beer. And that was about six years ago and game over. I just literally started researching the industry. So that's why I started making lagers because I knew that there was a need in New England for a classic craft blogger but with flavor i have been so fortunate to have some of the best in the industry and tyler from black hog has been a great mentor i said i want a lager that's not watered down because lagers get a bad rap i don't care what anybody says the craft beer people like oh i'm not drinking a lager i'm like but if you make a really good lager and you design the recipe well then you're good to go a lager does not have to be watered down so that's why we decided Let's do an unfiltered lager. Let's keep the goodness in. And and then I go to Black Hog and we contract brew. And it's just amazing to get creative with their team and pump out something that, again, the awesome. industry really hadn't seen. That was Elisa Bowens Mercado of Rhythm Brewing. Join her and Jamal Robinson and Judy Young at the Change in the Air Festival at Bear Smokehouse Barbecue this Saturday at noon. You'll find a link to it on our website ctpublic.org slash seasoned. You'll also find recipes from John Hall's The Craft Brewery Cookbook there as well. There are chicken wings, plus recipes contributed by Two Roads and Athletic Brewing. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Seasoned is produced by Robin Doyen-Aiken, Katie Talarski, Emily Cherish, and Catrice Claudio. Our summer interns are Anya Grandalski and Mira Raju. To keep up with the latest on Seasoned, follow at ctpublic on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Or just follow hashtag SeasonCT on all platforms. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can catch past episodes of Season on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and never miss our conversations with people making great food and drink in our state and beyond. See you next week.